Last week, we began looking at a portion of Scripture in Esther. We're going to turn there. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Esther chapter 4. But we began by asking or looking at the question on how should I respond to laws that are against God's instruction? And I've learned some things over these, over the course of this year. And God has cemented some things. And God's fine-tuned some areas in my heart and life. And tonight, I really want you to give me a hearing. I want you to give the Word of God, more importantly, a hearing tonight. Would you please put aside all the things, all the distractions, the busyness of this week? Would you set those things aside for just a few moments here? And would you focus upon the Word of God tonight? I believe if we would catch what the Word of God has to say this evening, it would revolutionize the way in which we think and the concepts in which we act upon by faith. And so please, I pray, uh, allow the Word of God to teach us tonight. Esther chapter 4, let's look at verse number 1. We'll look at this text once again tonight as we get into Scripture. Notice what the Bible says. When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and a bitter cry. And came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews and fasting and weeping and wailing, and many in sackcloth, uh, many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Here we are seeing the story of Mordecai uh, hearing the news of King Ahasuerus or King Xerxes, called both in the Bible. He's called Ahasuerus and Esther. King Ahasuerus makes a decree through deception from a man named Haman to send out a decree for all the Jews to be killed. Mordecai is a Jew. The queen, the king's wife, of course, is also a Jew. And so there's a big dynamic there that's going to unfold and going to develop, and we'll see that here coming uh, probably next week is probably when we're going to look at that dynamic. But we'll see that un un unfold here in just a little bit. But as this dynamic, or as this scene unfolds, we see the Bible beginning to show us and to teach us a great story and a great testimony of how we can respond to things that are very much contrary to the word of god and this decree of course was very much against the word of god the Bible says, thou shalt not kill it's very clear god says i am for his for my people god said i will bless them that curse thee uh, excuse me i will bless them that bless thee and curse curse them that curseth thee and so the bible speaks very clearly that god is for blessing the people of israel and not cursing them this was obviously not a blessing this was going against israel and as the decree came we saw some responses and i'm not going to rehash these tonight i'm just going to state them and then we'll continue on with our thought this evening we, we saw last week that their response began through humility. Their response was not a prideful response of acting out in anger, acting out militantly, but it was rather a humbleness. It was rather a brokenness. And we saw how that rending of clothes was a 
indicator of a broken heart that was being exposed externally. Speaking of a humble heart, a heart that was broken and willing to accept that which God was giving. Not only was it a response that began through humility, but we saw secondly that humility was joined with prayer. How important that is. As we think about prayer and as we think about responding in humility, that is coupled with prayer. Prayer is vital. Prayer is a vital thing in which opens the door for God to work in a way in which we can only envision. Prayer works. Prayer moves the hand of God. And the people truly responded not only in humility, but they coupled that humility with prayer. Thirdly, tonight, I want us to continue looking through the book of Esther as we see prayer empowered a stable mindset. Prayer empowered a stable mindset. Look at Esther chapter 4. Look at verse number 4 with me, please. Notice what the Bible teaches. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai to take away his sackcloth from him, but he received it not. Esther hears about Mordecai, about him wearing sackcloth, about him praying and coming out into the street even before the king's gate, displaying that humility and that brokenness of heart. And it grieved Esther that her uncle was so broken and so hurt and distressed over something. She did not know of the king's decree at this point. And so Mordecai truly was broken and Esther was hurt that her uncle was broken. He was a father to her. Her parents were no longer, and Mordecai had adopted Esther as his niece, as his daughter. That relationship was so dear and so beautiful. And as she goes to comfort Mordecai by sending him some clothes, by sending him some raiment, wanting to signify, I want to help, I want to try to ease your uh, ease your wounds ease that brokenness of your heart but mordecai would not receive them the bible says then called esther for hatak i believe that's how you pronounce it that's how i'll pronounce it here tonight one of the king's chamberlains whom he had appointed to attend upon her and he gave him a commandment to mordecai to know what it was and why it was in essence esther sent Hatak to go and to say, look, I want you to uh, 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 find out what's going on. If he's not going to receive this, find out why he's so distressed. Find out why he is humbling himself in such a way. The Bible says, so Hatak went forth to Mordecai unto the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him and of the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. Also how he gave him the cop, also he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther and to declare it unto her. 
and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him and to make request before him for her people. The Bible teaches us that Mordecai, with a broken heart, with a humble heart, with a heart of prayer, went and sat before the king's gate. Esther heard about it, tried to comfort him. He would not receive it. So she sent a chamberlain. He came and he tried to find out what was going on and Mordecai told him of the decree that had gone out. That Haman now had promised to give the king all the funds needed to go and to hunt down the Jews and to kill them and it was coming and it was less than a year away. The Bible teaches us that Hatzak went back to Mordecai, uh, went back to Esther upon receiving not only the news of what was decreed, but also a copy of the decree, and went and told Esther what was taking place, of what was happening. But do you see how Mordecai acted through all of this? Do you see his evenness? Do you see how careful in mind he was through all of this? The Bible doesn't say that he acted out in anger, or they acted out in a crazy, lunatic type of way. He wasn't panicked. He wasn't distressed. Yes, he was burdened. Yes, he was broken. But he had a stable mindset as he began to think, maybe this is why we went through the burdens that we went through. Maybe this is why Esther was taken from me. Maybe this is why Esther was taken to be, king, uh, to, uh, to be the uh, king's uh, a queen. Maybe this is why she was placed there. Maybe God is going to open up an opportunity there. He had a mindset that was focused and stable. You know, as we humble ourselves and pray, it begins to calm our feelings and our emotions. Our emotions can be all over the place, much like a roller coaster. But as we humble ourselves and begin to pray, God begins a evenness in our mind. He begins to calm our thoughts. He begins helping us focus upon the things that are around and begins showing us the opportunities that he may be giving and may open to answer the need of our heart, the burden of our soul. I want you to think about this story about Mordecai's response and how even-tempered and even mindset it was. With that in mind, go to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 28. Before we begin looking at Isaiah chapter 28, I want us to first of all see the context of Isaiah chapter 28. In Isaiah chapter 28, the Bible teaches us that Isaiah is preaching and teaching the children of Israel. He is showing them that God is going to shut down Israel completely. Not for just a few months, not for just a month, 
but he is going to shut down completely the entire nation of Israel for 490 years. And we complain about a few months. <laughs> 490 years, Israel was going to be completely given a national timeout, if we can put it that way. And as he is preparing the people of Israel and warning them of what is to come, the Bible teaches us that Isaiah is teaching and speaking to two groups of people. First of all, he is speaking to those who are followers of God, who believe in the Lord God, who trust him and follow him. They are saved, born-again children of God. And then he is also addressing the God-haters, those who are against the Lord. And as he addresses them, he begins to relay and gives us insight into the state of the children of Israel as God shut them down. Notice their state. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 28, and verse number 7, But they also have erred through wine, and through strong drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all tables are full of vomit and filthiness, so that there is no place clean. How far did the children of Israel go? How much were they erring? They were erring to such an extent that if you were to try to go to the priest, to the church, to receive counsel, that you would be greeted not with a pleasant smell, not with a pleasantry of, 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 of a smile, but rather a drunken priest with a table full of vomit. Could he envision coming into church before a Sunday morning service sometime and say, Pastor, I've got to speak with you and I bring you into my office and as I do, and as I bring you to my office, it's just filled with vomit and I'm walking, uh, barely able to stand and I look and I say, oh, excuse the mess, that was from last night. That's incredible. That's where they were. It was to the point that no one was willing to confront with the truth. No one could be trusted, not even the churches. They were corrupt people. And God was then going to shut everything down and bring that national time out. Look at verse number nine. Whom shall we, or whom shall he teach knowledge? Whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast? What was this question of? This was a question of, who do you think we are? You're coming and you're talking to me in such basic language, precept upon precept. You're talking to me in such base language. And why are you coming to me with these things? We've heard, uh, we've heard all this before. We know what you're going to say. 
We know how you're going to combat our questions. We know how you're going to respond if we say certain things. We've heard all this before. We're beyond this. You see, we've grown as a society past what you're teaching, Isaiah. The stuff that you're teaching, it's for babies. It's for little ones. We don't need those things. We don't need any of those things. We're beyond this. We've grown past it. Our knowledge is too great for this basic understanding which you are trying to give. Isaiah continues in verse number 10. As they mock and scorn God. For precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here little and there little. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. Isaiah said, look, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you understand that all these truths, all these things that God is trying to give us are there for your help, are there for your benefit. We need to understand these things. We need to understand these truths. They are vital as they mocked and scorned. And because of their mocking and scorning of God, as God tried to warn them through Isaiah, the Bible teaches us that God would then allow them to hear with stammering lips and another tongue. He says, I'm going to have another people, another language speak to you. You're not going to know that language. You're not going to know by that in which they are, they are speaking. They're going to uh, take you away. The Assyrians are going to capture you, and you're going to go into a foreign land with a, with a language or a tongue in which you've not heard. You're going to be in a culture in which you've never been a part of. God responds in verse number 12 to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. God said, look, I'm trying to help precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. He says, if you were to hear what my words have to say, if you were to hear what I am giving instruction, go back to verse number 12, please. Don't get ahead of me, please. As the Bible speaks of this teaching and guiding, he says, look, I'm going to help. I'm going to try to come with simple truth to you. And as they, and if you were to accept that simplicity of truth, if you were to accept this simplicity of how I'm trying to help, God stated you were going to find rest and a refreshing. If you listen to the words, if you listen to what I'm trying to instruct, if you listen to how I'm trying to help you, you would find a rest and a refreshing. He is speaking not only to God's people, he is also speaking to those that hate him. God says, if you listen to what my words are to say, you will find rest instead of weariness. You will find a refreshing. Only the word of God can do that. Only God's word can bring a rest and a refreshing amongst a time that is going to be full of 
difficulties, full of troubles. Then we come to verse number 13. Notice what the Bible says. God repeats it. But the word of the Lord was unto them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. What did God continue to do? He said, I'm going to continue teaching little by little, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. He said, I'm going to keep teaching these basic truths so that when these ta this time comes, this captivity comes, you will understand the brokenness of rejecting the Word of God. The brokenness of defying me. There were those that truly defied God and they would be broken. Those that do hear the Word of God they will find rest. They will find a refreshing. But God is going to continue to speak even though many would resist God's voice. He was going to continue speaking and trying to help them even though they would continue resisting and rejecting this. The priests have drunken themselves into a stupor resisting God however they can. I don't know about you, but the more I read and the more I see context of Isaiah 28, sure sounds like the UK. Sure sounds like our community, our country. God continues to expose and to give instruction to the people of Israel. God warns them through Isaiah. But as he gives warning Isaiah, he gives some further counsel further back in Isaiah chapter 8. I want us to go back to Isaiah chapter 8 this evening. And the first eight verses of Isaiah chapter 8, he gives once again the foretelling, the prophecy of the coming army of Assyria that is going to capture Israel and take them away. And as he gives them warning of this, he begins to teach them and shows, show those who follow him how to have a mindset through this time of shutdown. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 9. Associate yourselves, O ye people, and ye shall be broken in pieces. And give ear, all ye of far countries. Gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. God says, if you associate or gather yourselves together, you try to come at things your way. You try to ignore God's word. You try to continue in mocking and ridiculing and scorning what God's word has to say and what God is trying to teach. 
You do not heed his, his advice. Isaiah says, you will be broken. That word gird there speaks of a strengthen or a fortification. It's coming up with your own battle plans. He says, if you try to gather yourselves, if you try to come up with your own ideas, your own thoughts on how you can do so, how you can strengthen yourself and come up with your own way to battle, God says, it will not come to fruition. Your, uh, the enemy will still of when you will still lose. You see, when you make God your enemy, you still lose. When you make God your enemy, you will be broken. If you defy God, you will be broken. If you make God your, uh, uh, your enemy, brokenness and a destruction is there to follow. He says in verse number 10, take counsel, together and it shall come to naught speak the word and it shall not stand for god is with us he says if you try to come up with your own plans you try to come with your own mindset none of your plans are going to matter none of them are going to come to fruition god's plan is going to happen captivity is coming it is unavoidable where does this lead? Look at verse number 11. For the Lord spake thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying. What does Isaiah say? He says, amongst the defying, amongst the mocking and ridicule of God, Amongst those who are trying to put an enmity between God and themselves, God looked at Isaiah and said, as the world around you is breaking down and everyone is panicking about what is coming, about the army that is approaching, and society begins to break down, God said, Isaiah, don't think like these people don't go their way don't go the same direction don't take the same approach that they are taking don't go that way for it's broken thinking it is thinking that will lead nothing uh, 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 nothing else to destruction it will not help god says don't think like they think don't go the way in which they're going Think a different way. Walk a different way. Have you ever noticed that as we look at all the anger that is going on in society today, that the typical approach is just an alternate form of anger to respond to that? Or injustice. The response is simply an alternate form of injustice. Wrath is responded to with an alternate form of wrath. And that's exactly what dead minds and hearts do. They simply come up with an alternate form of anger or injustice or wrath 
to retaliate and to try to get their way to come together and to try to make their way work. But God says it's broken. It will not work. It doesn't prosper. God wants us to get out of this mindset, to think a different way, to walk a different way, to go a different direction. Look at verse number 12. Say ye not, this is going to blow your mind, a confederacy. To all them to whom this people shall say, a confederacy, neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. Confederacy, what is that? That word confederacy there is the Hebrew word keshu, which actually means a conspiracy. It literally means a plot to carry out some harmful or illegal act, especially a political plot. God says, when all this is going to happen, I'm not, this is just simply the word of God tonight. God says, they are going to state some conspiracies. He says to all those people who state conspiracies, he says, don't be afraid of what they're afraid of. Don't give in to what they are breeding as far as fear is concerned. He says, because fear is going to lead you away from faith. Faith is, uh, faith is the opposite of fear. And a conspiracy leads into, uh, uh, into fears. Why? Because the Bible is an incredible book. The Bible does something that no other book on this planet has ever done or can do, and that is it tells us the history and the exact motive of the heart of the individual. God tells us why people did what they did. God tells us exactly what the motives of their heart were as they made decisions. Let's be very frank this, this evening and be very forthcoming as we think about the conspiracies that are around us this, this evening that we do not know the motives of the heart, period, full stop. We don't know them. We can't know them. Why? Because it's in the heart. I can't see the heart. God can, and God exposes the motives in the word of God, but we don't know the motives around us. We might see some inklings, and we might see some things that issue out of the heart, but we don't fully know the heart. God says we don't even know our own. And if we don't even know our own, how can we judge someone else's heart and motives? Is that not what a conspiracy leads to? It leads to a motive impression. I know what their impression was. I know what their motives were. Do you really? Are you God? Do you see their heart? Last time I checked, there was one God. He alone knows the heart. And God tells us and warns us not to spread conspiracies because they lead to fear. So what does God instruct us to do? This is powerful. Look at verse number 13. Sanctify 
the Lord of hosts himself. And let him be your fear. And let him be your dread. God says, I want you, Isaiah, to sanctify in this troubled time. God is bringing a lockdown, a shutdown to the children of Israel. And as he's bringing this shutdown, he says to Isaiah, sanctify the Lord. What does that word sanctify mean? That word sanctify actually means to elevate or to set apart in your thinking. He says, Isaiah, elevate in your mind, set apart in your thinking the Lord. He says, I want you to think of my ways because my ways are higher than your ways. You see, the world wants your mind. It doesn't want you to elevate the Lord. It doesn't want you to promote him, sanctify him. But don't let their fears lead you. Let God be the awe. And that's what that word fear the Lord means. Let him be your fear. Let him be your awe. Let him be elevated, lifted up in your mind. Let your mind be focused upon the wonder and the amazement and the incredible nature of our God. Lift him up high in your mind and let others know that he is your father and that he is your awesome god and that you want to elevate and uh, elevate and truly uh, 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 focus upon him as a high and mighty god as the high and mighty god but those that reject the lord those that reject him he says i'm going to be your dread god says those that reject me you have a lot to be fearful for there's a lot to have a heart that is full of weary and dread in your hearts. If you reject the Lord, there's a lot to be fearful for. But if your heart and your mind are elevating the Lord, God says, I give a rest and a refreshing. God says, I give hope to those who trust me. God wants us to be awesome. In our, our minds to find him awesome and awe of who he is notice what the bible says in verse number 14 and he sorry about that he shall be a for a sanctuary but for a stumbling of stone and for a rock of offense to both the houses of israel for a gin uh, which is which simply is a trap and a uh, and for a snare to the inhabitants of israel he says, you want somewhere to go and escape all of this? <laughs> My family and I, just a couple of months ago, we had the privilege of getting away for a holiday. But even there, it, there was still that, all the things, all the conditions around, around us. Have you just wanted, though, to go someplace and just to be away from it all? I think all of us at some point have. Just want to go and escape and find some sanctuary. God says, I want to be that sanctuary. I want to be that place that you can go and just enjoy, um, uh, enjoy a focused heart and a focused mind, a consecrated place truly where he dwells and where sacred objects truly are kept and worship takes place as we think of an asylum not speaking of a mental asylum, but rather of a safe place, a safe sanctuary. 
that you can go. It's protected and we can focus upon the Lord. God says to all those who love my word, I will be a wonderful rest to them. I'll be a sanctuary to them. I'll be a place in which you can enjoy rest. But to those that reject me, God says, I will be a gin. I will be a trap to them. He says, I will be bad news for them. This is unstable thinking. And God exposes it upon which our mindset will be had. The Bible then teaches us in verse number 15. Look at it with me once again, please. And many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. God said many are going to choose to go a different direction. He says many of them are going to be broken. Many of them are going to fall. Many of them are going to be taken. What's the answer? The answer is what it's always been. It's not a what, but it's rather a who. The who is Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Jesus was the answer in Isaiah 8. He's the answer today. He was the answer in the Garden of Eden. He's the answer for eternity to come. He will always be the answer. The answer is Christ. When we focus upon Christ, He is the one that gathers our thoughts. I love this. Look at verse number 16 with me. Notice what it says. Bind up the testimony. Seal the law among my disciples. God says, I want you to bind. That word bind there means literally to gather or wrap together, to preserve. He says, to preserve what? The testimony. What is the testimony? Well, the testimony is the word of God. God says, I want you to preserve, I want you to gather, I want you to focus upon the Word of God. I want you to see my words, and I want you to gather yourself, to wrap together, to preserve your thoughts, to preserve your mind, to preserve and gather yourself in the Word of God. The testimony of the Lord is how we can gather ourselves together. The Bible says, and seal. That word seal there is an interesting word. It means to fasten with or as with a seal. It is like a king sealing a decree. In essence, it is changing what was to something, uh, what was to something unmovable or unchangeable. It's like, as we spoke of just a moment ago, with Esther and the king sealing the decree what was that that was an unchangeable law that went out it was something that could not be changed and yet it was sealed with the king's signet god says when you seal when you cons- uh, uh, when you put together your thoughts and your mind among my law upon my testimony it is something that helps your heart and your mind to focus and it helps us to get our thoughts upon the voice of God. 
The voice of God is powerful. It preserves our mind. The Word of God helps us to filter out noise. When we hear noise, it distracts us, does it not? Noise truly can stop us from thinking upon that in which we ought to think. It can stop us from hearing that in which God wants us to have to say. Can you hear what is being said? That was on purpose, by the way. You know, when we focus on the noise, you really can't hear much, can you? So many Christians today are distracted by the noise of the world. And that's all it is. It's noise. It's broken thinking. It's thinking that's going to come to naught. It's noise that is not going to come to fruition. God says, I don't want you to focus upon that noise. I want you rather to focus upon my voice. God wants us to hear his voice. You know, no one, it has been studied and has been confirmed scientifically and philosophically that no one has ever won an argument on social media. <laughs> it's impossible. Not going to win the argument. You're not going to win the argument combating a news media piece. You're not going to win it. There's no winning. You're not going to win that argument. So why are we listening to all that noise? Why are we so absorbed into the noise of the world? It takes us away from the voice of God. God wants our words to be focused upon Him. Look at verse number 17. The Bible says, And I will wait upon the Lord that hideth His face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him isaiah said i have a solution there is a solution for this to bind and to gather my thoughts to help stabilize and to help my mind be at rest upon the lord and that is to what to wait upon that uh, upon the lord that word wait there means to adhere by piercing literally isaiah is saying i'm going to nail my heart to the truth of god he says, I'm going to look. That word look there speaks of binding together by twisting an eager anticipation. He says, I'm going to look for God. I'm going to look for the Lord. My heart has been nailed to God, to his word and the truth of who he is. And I'm looking for him with an eager heart. It is wanting and expecting and seeing and 
anticipating, look, uh, uh, anticipating seeing the Lord. He says, I'm looking to see God. I can't wait to enjoy that time with him. He says, I'm looking with an eagerness of being with the Lord forever and ever. That word bind there speaks of twisting. He says, I'm going to twist my thoughts around that eager anticipation. It's like a rope, as it were. He says, my thoughts are going to be twisted like a rope together, bound with an eagerness, wanting to see God. What a powerful statement there is. And notice what the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 26, verse number 3. As God states, Through Isaiah, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. That word perfect peace is actually shalom, shalom. It's that word twice, and when you see that in the Bible, it is comparable to squaring a number. It's like saying four squared. Four squared, of course, is 16. It increases exponentially the power of that number. And when we see shalom, shalom together, it is like shalom squared, if we can put it that way. It is a multiplication of the value of that word. And that shalom there is not speaking of a peace on earth or no problems in life, which is so often what we think of about peace, but it is actually speaking of a wellness, a completeness and soundness that is present continually. God says, I want you to be full of complete well thoughts. I want you to have a soundness in your heart that is present continually. I want your mind to be focused and to be filled with well health and a completeness and a soundness that can only come from the word of God. Is that not what Jesus said in John chapter 14 when he said, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. He said in verse number 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. God says, I have a better peace. I have a better way. I can calm your mind. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul, speaking to a church that went through struggles, and yet was very loved through by Paul. In Philippians 4, verse number 7, and he says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts, notice this words, and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Oh, that we were to transform our hearts and minds by thinking upon those things which are just, pure, lovely, and of good report, those things that are honest and true. If we were to focus upon these things, it would change our thinking. It would stabilize our mind. It would help us to resist the urge of spreading falsehoods 
and enjoying the rest and peace of a sanctuary, resting in the Lord. Second, or in 2 Thessalonians chapter 10, verse number, th- verse number 3, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. What was Paul saying? Paul was saying, don't battle like the world battles. He says, don't hit back like the world hits. He says, we're ought to, we ought to do something different. We ought to uh, act in a different manner. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. God says, I want to bring some rest, a solemn sanctuary to your heart and mind. God says, I want to bring your, your mind into a peace that only God can bring So cast down those imaginations. Cast those things that try to bring knowledge against God. He says, bring every thought to the captivity of Christ. Trust the Lord. Trust his word. Go back to Isaiah chapter 8 and we'll be done for tonight and we'll continue next week. Isaiah chapter 8, verse number 18. Notice what the Bible says. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth in Mount Zion. And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God? For the living, to the dead, to the law, and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them." We look at those verses and sometimes we can scratch our minds and think, or scratch our heads and think, oh, what did I just read? Let me just break it down to you very simply. Did you see what he says there in verse number 19? He says, let me find my place here. Um, and, why th- uh, excuse me, and when they say unto you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits and unto wizards and that mutter, shall not a people seek unto their God? He says, why are you looking at, for, at these diviners, these sorcerers, those that are practicing witchcraft. He says, why are you looking at those things, looking for answers? Shouldn't God's people seek the Lord? Isn't he the one that we should seek for truth? As God's people, aren't we supposed to be going to the Lord, to his word for truth? Why are we going to these other areas? Why are we going to those other things? So, well, Pastor, I don't go to a diviner or source or witchcraft. Okay. Well, today we've got a lot of psychics around, and I know there are a lot of Christians today that are focusing on that type of thinking. Today we have the news media. We have the Twitter feeds. We have those things that are truly divining and bringing that in which are confederacies or conspiracies to our hearts and minds. God says, I want you to focus on those things 
Don't look for those and don't look for the truth or the answers in those areas. He says, look for me, look to me, look to the Lord. We are a people of the Lord. We look to the Lord. I don't have to look to the BBC. I don't have to look to the, uh, to a conservative news media or a liberal news media. I don't have to look to those things for truth for God is truth. And as a child of God, my focus ought to be his word and his truth. Did you see what he says for the living? to the dead he says why are living people those who are living children of God going to those who are dead that do not know Christ that do not know the truth that are blind and are going a direction in which they ought not to go they are going a way in which will not lead to a wellness but rather a brokenness they speak not according to this word it's because there is no light in them god says i want you to go to them or excuse me i I don't want you to go to them i want you to go to the law to the testimony i love that thought go to the law to the testimony in verse number 20 there what does that word to there mean All of my boys are different in their taste. They all like similar things, of course, but some like things more than others. Jonathan loves chicken, especially barbecue chicken, especially chicken that comes from a Portuguese place called Nando's. If there is a place that we're driving past and we are asking, where should we eat, and a Nando sign was to come up, there would be one loud answer, to Nando's, <laughs> let's go there. We, I want Nando's, yes. The spicier and the hotter, the better, it seems. He loves it. That's what God is saying, to the law, to the testimony. He says, I want you to come to my word. I want you to come to me. I want you to come to the truth for I have that which is going to bring rest and a wellness and a shalom peace to your heart that you cannot fully understand. This world can't comprehend it. My friends, it's time we as Christians have a stable mindset and that stable mindset comes from exactly the testimony that we've seen through Isaiah that was practiced through Mordecai as Mordecai was focused upon the truth of who God is, and he says, God, you're going to sort this. God, you're going to care for this. I don't know how, but I know that I can seek the truth of who you are, and I can rest unassured in my heart and mind that you have everything in control. God is in control tonight. It's time we get away from the fear-mongering news. That's exactly what the news media is doing. It's marketing fear. The news media right now loves COVID. I'm not not saying they love COVID because of the death and destruction, which is caring, but they love that because it's bad news. They love it because it is marketable for them. People go to the news to find out what is taking place and the 
And because there's more viewers, they can charge more for adverts. And because they can charge more for adverts, it makes them more money. And because it makes them more money, it makes fear a marketable and a ad uh, and a, uh, a, a likable business to be a part and that's exactly what it's doing my friends shut off the news media i don't care what it is we as a children of god we ought to be focused more upon the word of god and looking upon the one who has the truth than we are looking at the news media reports my friends just shut it off shut it off Switch it all off and go to the Lord and let His law, His testimony, bind your heart and soul and mind together with a peace that comes from Him. Focus upon Him. What a great God we have. Trust the Lord tonight. Trust His word. As we continue next week and looking through this portion of Scripture in Esther, would you see tonight that Mordecai acted by faith, not because out of panic or fear, but because of a man who was determined to live by the truth of God. May we have that heart. Let's focus upon God and allow His Word to cause our minds to be at rest. Stable minds. Father, I thank You for this evening and for what You've taught my heart. God, You've taught me a lot. And God, I've nowhere near where I should be with this, but God, I am thankful for what you have taught my heart to help me put in some things into practice. I pray that you would help us all to take Isaiah 8, Isaiah chapter 26 and 28, and take these portions of Scripture in which your word teaches us to warn and to be warned of the thinking of those that hate you, but rather accept and accept you in your mind your heart, your words, your law, your testimony. I pray that you would help us tonight to focus firmly upon the Word of God. May we truly have a heart and a mind that is fully rested upon Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.